At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. Today, we invite you to look deeper into 1 Peter, tuning into our current series, Unshakable, Steadfast Hope in an Unpredictable World. Join us as we allow God's Word to shape us and renew our hope with the brilliant truth of the Gospel. That sound great. Let's pray. Father, you are great. And uh, Lord, what a joy it is to be able to give you praise today. You are the breath in our lungs. You are our life, our all in all. And we pray the Lord that the love of Jesus will flow through us to one another and to a world, the Lord, that is so hungry for your love. We thank you and we praise you. And it's in Jesus' name we give glory and honor. And all God's people said, amen and amen. Come on and give God praise in this place today. Amen. You can be seated in the presence of the Lord. It is so good to be with you. I am so fired up this week. In addition to all that has been announced, I'm just grateful that in two weeks, the Big Ten is going to be back again with uh, Big Ten football. That has nothing to do with today's message, just the joy of my own heart. Amen. Uh, but I do want to say thank you for your faithful generosity to Woodside. Uh, uh, um, Pastor Joe uh, mentioned this card, this digital card. I do want you to pick it up if you haven't already gotten it. I know many of you received it as you came in uh, today. But in it, you'll see Shaney's story. And some of you saw us a few weeks ago celebrate. Shaney came to Christ through our digital ministry. You know, at the end of last year, we made a $500,000 investment into our digital ministry. For us here at Woodside, that's the equivalent of launching a new campus. So I want you to see this digital ministry the way you would see uh, us launching a new campus. It's like our 15th campus. And through it, many are coming to Christ. Now, we had no idea that a pandemic was coming and that we would be forced to figure out a way to worship God with our doors closed. But how many are grateful that our teams figured that out? How many are grateful for that? And for our friends that are joining us online, if you're a Woodside member or if you're just uh, tied into us in this season, we want you to know you are welcome and we love you and praise God. And we do want you to connect with us. If you're in need of the love of Jesus or you need someone to pray with you, or maybe today is the day you come to faith in Jesus Christ. Or if you're in person, I want you to be praying that God will use our digital ministry to reach more homes with the gospel of Jesus Christ than ever before. How many can join me in that prayer? Amen. One of the things I love about Woodside is our faith and our trust and confidence in the Word of God. And I get it, the privilege of carrying on the legacy of passion around this Word. So today we're going uh, back into the Word of God. We have been studying through the letter that Peter wrote to the early church. It's called First Peter in your Bible, so you can join me there. The theme for this series is an unshakable hope, an unshakable hope to our surprise. Peter is very much focused on the people of God being a people of hope in spite of the challenges and the persecutions and the obstacles that they faced. Their early church was scattered abroad. The Bible tells us that in verse number one of chapter one of 1 Peter, that this was the diaspora, these early Jewish believers that were scattered abroad primarily because of persecution. And you can imagine again what they must have faced as a displaced people. But to our surprise, again, Peter says in verse number three, that you and I, that they were born again to a living hope. How many know we're called to be a people of hope? 
And even in a world that is broken and marred by sin, even in the face of external persecutions, we are called to be a people of hope. But they also had an internal challenge. And here's the internal challenge. They were trying to figure out what it meant to be the people of God. And so Peter quickly goes to that thought. And he says in verse number 15 and later in verse number 17, he tells them how they're supposed to live in the world that's kind of hostile to Christian faith, to what it means to be a follower of Christ. He says in verse 15, you should be holy. This is chapter 1, verse 15. You should be holy for the God we serve is holy. So in other words, we should reflect his character. In verse number 17, he says, we should conduct ourselves with fear. What type of fear? Fear, awe, reverence for the God that we serve, knowing that he is great. So this is how we're supposed to conduct ourselves within a fallen world. You know, they had to go into pagan lands, but we have to live in a culture that is growing more hostile towards the message of Christ. My friends, it's not going to get easier to be a follower of Christ. It may get more difficult, but it is is worth it. It is worth it. And so then by the time he gets to verse number 22, he switches his thoughts to say, not only are we supposed to live as God's representatives to a watching world, but we're supposed to, because of the hope of Christ, uh, love one another well. He says that we are to love one another earnestly in verse 22 from a pure heart. That's how we're supposed to treat one another. And that love we have for one another becomes this sweet fragrance that's one of the greatest evangelistic tools we have. People will be drawn to the message of the gospel as they see us loving one another. Uh, in other words, what Peter's convinced of is our community in here should be different in the way the world relates to one another out there. That God, through the church, is forming this alternative community that is marked by love for one another. But then as we get into chapter 2, he begins to talk about what it means for us to live on mission for God. So that's what we're going to talk about today, what it means for us to live on mission for God. Now, one of the other things that's really awesome about Peter is that Peter takes these complex theological concepts and he helps us to relate to them by using these great illustrations or word pictures. If you remember last week when we were kind of thinking through how do we grow in our love for one another, he gives us these words in, in uh, verse number two. He says that we are to long for the pure spiritual milk. He gives us the, this word picture of longing for milk, the way a baby longs to be fed with that milk so we should long and hunger for the word. Well, today he's going to use another illustration, and that is of a building. God is building a building, this spiritual house, and we're going to read about it today. And what, what he wants us to first recognize is our place in God's house. All of us who have put our faith and trust in Jesus, we have a place in God's house. Look at verse number four. And you come, I'm sorry, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. He refers to Jesus. Listen to this phrase that he uses for Jesus. He says that Jesus is a living stone. 
If ever there was a paradoxical statement, it is living stone. Those two words don't seem to go together, do they? Stones are dead things, and and he connects that to life. But what he wants the Jewish mind to hear is that God is bringing alive a temple that is a temple for his praise and glory, and Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone of that temple. Now, to the Jewish mind, they would have automatically went to the temple as the central place of worship. This temple that was first a tabernacle, a tent that traveled with them as a nomadic people later on through David and in Solomon, the funds were raised to build this beautiful edifice, and it became the centerpiece of worship life. Now, I want to connect this to what's happening in our worship experience in 2020, but let's go back to theirs for just a moment. What was this temple all about? It was the central place of spiritual worship. It was where they made pilgrimage several times a year. No matter where they were, they were told, commanded to come there to worship. Is where they made sacrifices to God. It was where worship was offered to God. To sum it up, it was where they experienced the presence and the power of God. But in Christ, what God announces is that as special and as precious as that temple was, that temple was comprised of dead stones. That temple was built out of stones that were not alive. And if that temple was special, how much more the temple, the spiritual house of God that God was building through Christ, his redemptive plan was that Jesus Christ would be the chief cornerstone. I'm going to come back to what it means to be the chief cornerstone in just a moment, but I want you to see is that Jesus is alive. He is a living Savior. And I love the way that Peter, throughout his writings, uses his word living. He wants us to know in verse 3 of chapter 1 that our hope is a living hope. Later on, he calls in chapter 1 the word of God living. And here he says Jesus is alive. He is a living stone. The message is clear, my friends. When we come to faith in Christ and put our trust in his word, we come alive. Faith in Christ takes us from death to life. It takes hard hearts and it softens them again. It pulls us out of the grip of sin, spiritual death, and gives us life with God. How many thank God that you're alive today? That you're alive today because of Jesus. He is that living stone. And if you look at ancient buildings in Jerusalem, that cornerstone was the foundation stone, and it set the pattern for all the other stones. The whole pattern for how the building was built was decided and, 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 and based off of that, that cornerstone. And so it is that when we come to faith in Christ, we pattern ourselves after Jesus. We follow his example. He sets the course for how our lives are to be lived. You know, one of the things that marked me when I became a part of the Woodside family is is coming to this campus. And when you come to the Troy campus and you go out in the back in our patio, one of the things you see are all of these stones. And in these stones, along the walkways, you see names in the stones. 
And these names represent investment of lives and, and how our community came together as a church family to, uh, to invest in the building of this building so that this community could have a home, a place of worship to know that in this place the truth of Christ is being taught and that people could come here and there would be a place where they could encounter the presence and the power of God. What Jesus wants us to know, as important as these buildings are, and they are, they are lighthouses in the midst of, of, of a dark world, in the midst of communities, but there is a spiritual house that God is building, that even in seasons like we experienced this year in 2020, where the doors of the church were closed but for a moment, and like you, I pray that the doors of the church will never have to close again. How many pray that with me, that we will never have to experience that again? But I also recognize that if biblical prophecy is true, there will be tough times for the church. There will be persecution and prosecution and even execution for the trust that we have in Jesus Christ. And what God wants us to know, that, that uh, his power and his presence is not just experienced on Sunday mornings like this in the building, but wherever people are gathered together as believers, as a community of Christ, that he is in the midst there. Wherever two or more are gathered together, there he is. He's in the midst of us. And so this is why group life is important. This is why spiritual community is important. This is why spiritual family is important. Because as we come together, the presence of God dwells among us wherever we are. Not just in physical buildings comprised of stones that will never live, but as far as the family of God goes, we are a spiritual house, and he calls us living stones. That we, when we put our faith in Christ, we become living stones. God is building a house, my friend, brick, brick by brick, stone by stone. And every person who comes to faith in Christ is a living stone. And we have a place in God's plan. He is the great architect. He is the great builder. And he is designing a home that will be a place and a witness to the world. He's designing a spiritual house that will be a lighthouse to a weary world in the place of darkness so that they can run into Christian community. They can run in our midst and find the love, the redemption, the salvation, the grace, the mercy that comes from Christ alone, and that should mark our community. So in verse number five, he tells us three things about us, three things that are true about us when we come to Christ. First, that we are living stones, we come alive, Secondly, that we're a, a holy priesthood. Now, what were the priests? The priests were uh, the Levites, and their job was to supply for the needs of the temple. Whatever the temple needed, they ministered to those needs. I want you to think about it. If Peter's analogy is true, and we now are the temple, and also the priesthood, what Peter is trying to communicate, my friends, is that we should supply one another's needs. There should never be a need in the spiritual family of God that is now also met by the family of God, who among us is in need of grace and encouragement. That should come from the family. Who among us is in need of love and forgiveness. That should come from the family. 
Who among us is overwhelmed in this moment and needs someone to come alongside of them? That should come from the family. All of us have been deputized. All of us are a priesthood before our God. Not just a select tribe, not just those who have title, but every one of us has been given the grace and the anointing of the presence of the Spirit of God, empowered by Him to minister to one another. And how do we do it? Well, he tells us we do it by offering spiritual sacrifices. Now, now Peter doesn't enumerate what these spiritual sacrifices are, but as you think about it through the Jewish mind, they would have no doubt uh, thought about the sacrificial system. But they knew that the sacrificial system was going on, uh, undergoing a radical overhaul. You see, no longer was there a need for them to bring uh, uh, animal sacrifice, bulls and turtle doves and goats and, and, and lambs. Why? Because the perfect sinless lamb of God had already made a sacrifice of his perfect life on that cross, spilling his blood for our sins once and for all. And for those of us who put our trust in him, he has forgiven us, reconciled us to our heavenly Father. Father, through faith in Jesus Christ, no more penalty, no more curse of sin. How many thank God that in Christ we are free, and whom the Son of Man has set free is free indeed. Well, if I don't offer animals, what do I offer? Well, what are these spiritual sacrifices? Well, I'm glad you asked, because as you read through the New Testament, we find these spiritual sacrifices being mentioned again and again. Let's just look at two other places. Keep your finger there in 1 Peter, but venture with me to Romans, Paul's letter to the Romans. And in chapter 12, Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 12, look at verse number 1. For many of you, these words will be familiar. He says these words, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. What sacrifice do I bring now? No, I don't bring animals now. I bring me. I don't lay bulls or uh, doves or goats or rams on the altar. I lay myself on the altar. And yes, he wants all of me. He wants my hands for his use. He wants my feet for his use. He wants my heart for his use, my mouth for his use. So let me ask this question, have you given God all of you? Have you given him a living sacrifice? Have you laid yourself at his altar and said, God, here am I, use me? You know, I know some really talented and gifted people who will say, God, you can have my Sundays, but you can't have my gifts or my talents. If that's you, just look straight ahead and no one will know that it's you. You don't have to say amen, you can just say ouch. I know some really good people who, who say, Lord, you can have my feet, I'll, I'll go where you want me to go, but you can't have my mouth, I'm going to keep that for myself, and I'll say whatever I want, under the guise of keeping it real or speaking our minds. How many know that even our mouths have to be submitted to the glory of God for the good of men? 
I don't know what, what you may have held back, but I do know this, that if we're going to give God the sacrifice he wants in this season, it's not animal sacrifice he wants. He wants all of us. Don't hold back. There's another passage I would love for you to look at with me, Hebrews. Uh, the book of Hebrews, and we'll look at chapter 13. Now, it's not certain who wrote Hebrews. Some say Paul. Some say his companion, Apollos. But what we do know is that Hebrews is an ancient sermon. It's an ancient sermon. And in what we call chapter 13, the preacher says this around verse 15. Look at what his words are. Through him, who? Jesus. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God, that is, the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Here's another sacrifice, my friends, and it's a sacrifice of praise. And what makes praise a sacrifice? It's that we have to overcome our emotions, the emotions and the effects, again, of what it means to live in a fallen world. And there are going to be many times where you're not going to want to acknowledge the goodness of God but as people who have been redeemed by his blood, we have to continually remind ourselves of his great name and his great love for us. Don't ever forget that. And whenever we are gathered together, not just in this building that is comprised of stones that will never live, but when we are gathered together with other living stones, celebrating the chief cornerstone, we are called to acknowledge him and to give him praise. Praise is for all people. Praise isn't just for extroverts. But for all my introverted friends in the house, praise is for you as well. Praise isn't just for women, but for all my brothers in the house, praise is for us as well. Praise isn't just for adults, but for all the youth in the house, praise is for you as well. Praise is for everyone. Let everything that have breath, what? Praise ye the Lord. We are all called to acknowledge his great name and his great love for us. But how many can admit that sometimes we get amnesia? Oh, I, I remember when I was younger having moments where I thought my parents weren't treating me quite like I should be treated. Times when they wouldn't give me stuff that I wanted on my wish list. And I remember a time when I told my mother, I don't think you love me. And her response to me was, do I feed you? <laughs> and I said, yeah, you do. Do I put a roof over your head? Yeah, you do. Do I take care of you? Yes, you do. Why do I do that? Because I love you. Well, recently I wasn't planning on it, but I had one of those moments where you realize, oh my God, I've become my parents. <laughs> one of my children weren't happy that I didn't get them something that they wanted. And the question was, are you, do you love me? Are you... Are you kind to me? Are you good to me? And I just had to renumerate. Oh, I praise God that I had my mother's voice in my head. Do I feed you? Yeah, I, yeah, you do. Do I put a roof over your head? Do you have a warm bed at night? Do I pay that tuition for you to go to school? Am I clothing you? You parents know what I'm talking about. I should be getting more amens than what I'm getting right now. 
Folks, my friends, if Jesus never did another thing for us because of what he did on Calvary, he is worthy of all the praise, all the glory forever and ever and ever. Don't you ever question, is he good to you or does he love you? And if you do, just look at the cross of Christ and it will settle all questions. He loved you so much that he gave his life so that you and I might live. He loves us. And, and what he wants in return is a sacrifice. What sacrifice? A sacrifice of praise. Let's look at two more sacrifices. Verse 16 of Hebrews 13, he goes on to say, do not neglect to do good. There goes one. And to share what you have for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Two more sacrifices. Doing good. Together, plural, you, us, together, doing good, loving our local neighborhoods and lo loving our global neighbors. This is the type of sacrifice our God wants. Whenever we roll up our sleeves and we say we're going to love the community that we are in, we're going to love the, the global neighbors that God opens the door for us to love, we are offering to him a sacrifice. Sacrifice for his praise, empowered by the Holy Spirit. He is pleased with this type of sacrifice. But then he, he's also pleased whenever we share, share our resources. He knows how dominating money and possessions can be in our lives. And one of the ways we break the dominance to control the idolatry for possessions and things is when we hold them with an open hand. And we say, God, it is yours for you to direct wherever you want. And if, God, you want me to share it with my neighbor, my friends, my brothers, my sisters, and even those who don't deserve it. Let's talk about that for a moment. It's easy for us to love those who are lovable. It's hard for us to love those who are hard to love. But here's the truth of the matter, is that when you properly understand grace, the story of our salvation, you and I know we didn't deserve it. How many can admit that, that you don't deserve his goodness, that we don't deserve his grace, but yet he has poured it out in abundance, and we who have been such recipients of his grace, we should be the greatest dispensers of his grace, not just to the lovable, but even to those we feel like don't deserve it because we are a different community. Because we are in Christ, and when we do these things, these sacrifices are pleasing to him. So now, going back to 1 Peter chapter 2, he tells us these things about ourselves. And then in verse number 6, he wants us to understand the spirit of prophecy in Scripture, the fact that God predicted all of this. He goes on to say, for it, behold... I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. And so here he quotes Isaiah 28, verse number 16. In Isaiah 28, verse number 16, we see these words, but Isaiah is talking some 700 plus years prior to this moment, predicting that God was building a house, his redemptive plan, and that Christ would be the chief cornerstone. Again, precious and chosen, rejected by men, but precious and chosen to God. 
Then he says these words, verse number seven, the A part of this verse, he says, so the honor is for you who believe. What an honor. What an honor it is to know Christ and to make him known. What an honor it is to offer him the sacrifice of praise. What an honor, not a burden, but an honor it is to surrender to him our hands, our heads, our minds, our mouths, our feet, and to say, Lord, here am I, use all of me. Don't ever think that you're being shortchanged in Jesus. Everything we offer to him is but a fraction of what he gives back to us. And so, my friends, it's an honor to be able to serve our great God. It's an honor to be able to serve our great God. And so then he shifts to warning. The tone shifts. The focus shifts. As he goes into the B part of verse number seven and concluding in verse number eight, he's warning us, don't stumble over the word of God. Look at what he says. But for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is directly from Psalm 118 verse 22. And then in verse number eight, he says, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense they stumble because they disobey the word they were destined to do. These are strong words from the apostle Peter. And he tells us that the world is going to stumble over the truths of scripture. They're going to stumble over the person of Jesus Christ. But don't you stumble because you will not be put to shame. You will receive the blessing that comes along with faith and trust in him. Now, I don't know when, the, when was the first time you encountered the hostility uh, around your faith. I remember going off to university. I remember going to college for the first time. And here I had all of these professors who had letters after their names. Imagine how intimidating that much must be for a young 17 or 18-year-old. And here you're sitting before these people who uh, minimize your faith or dismiss your faith or cause you to think that your faith somehow isn't even worthy of consideration. And yet, as I sat before them, there was something that was deep down inside of me that helped me to know that I had something of value that they didn't realize was as valuable as it was. My friends, I can't even imagine what my, ki what my kids, your kids, our kids are facing today as they go off to non-Christian colleges and the hostility. We have to make sure that they know that it is planted on the inside of them that Jesus is worth following in the end of the end, trust in Christ will not be put to shame. But if you trust in him, you will receive the reward that comes along with trusting in him. And not just in the ultimate sense of the promise, but how many thank God that you have a Savior now? How many praise God that you don't have to traverse through this broken world without a Savior? How many thank God that He is faithful, that He is true, that He is Emmanuel, He is with us? I couldn't imagine having to face today without Him. And so praise God for Jesus. Don't stumble over the word that tells us concerning who he is. Don't stumble over the truths of scripture, the prophecy of scripture. Don't stumble over the truth of Jesus Christ. Don't stumble over any part of it. You know, when the word of God comes to us, it doesn't come to us with white out. 
There were all, all of us will have parts of Scripture that are tough for us, but don't stumble over the tough parts. It's one of the ways you know that this is a divine book. Had it just been written by man and for man, it wouldn't say love your enemies, it would say punch your enemies. That would have been uh, the Chris Brooks translation. But praise God, one of the earmarks of divinity among many is the fact that it's not written to appeal to our emotions. It's written to give us the truth. And so don't stumble over it. Um, Part of this, though, I think Peter is getting at is value. How much value do you place on Jesus? You know, one of my favorite pastimes, one of the things that I love more than anything else is to go, in, to go into used bookstores. I love it. My wife knows I love it so much that when I'm telling her I'm going, she does not let me take the mortgage money or uh, the grocery money because it might just be spent on books, right? We'll buy clothes and food later. There's books to buy. Um, but I love it. And, and I love it when we're traveling abroad and we can go to a used bookstore um, one of the annual trips we used to make is to Grand Rapids. They have all of these uh, used bookstores. Um, but one of the reasons why I love it is because inevitably there will be a classic in the shelves that the store owner doesn't realize is as valuable as it is. And so then you grab it and you look and you say, man, this is a classic. Let me run to the register and pay for this before they realize that they have gold on their shelves. And then you have this classic in your hand and you, you treasure it. How much do you treasure Christ? You've heard the statement before, one man's trash is another man's what? Treasure. Well, so it is for, for the world. Jesus is an afterthought or, or maybe at the highest level, he's a great philosopher or a moral teacher. But how many value him as much more? How many know that he is Lord of lords? He is King of kings, that he is the resurrected Messiah. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. He is the most valuable treasure a man or a woman can have So cherish him, give your life to him, give your all to him, lay yourself on the altar and offer yourself to him. And when you do, you will go from death to life. You will no longer just come into a building comprised of stones that will never live. You, my friends, will become living stones if you put your trust in him. So what's the conclusion? How do we respond to what Peter just told us? One of two ways. Either if you have never given your life to Jesus before, you do it today. Every week in this ministry, people are coming to Jesus. Across our campuses and through uh, our digital uh, platforms, people are coming to faith in Christ. And so today may be your day. And if you have never given your life to Jesus, I speak to the cameras and to those of you that are here with us in person, do it today. And so after the service, Some of us are going to be here at the front just to pray with you, to welcome you into the family, to minister to a heart that may be broken because of sin, the grace that is found in Christ alone. And if you're watching online, just type right now, connect in the comment section, and one of our friends, one of our staff members will get with you so that you can know what it means to be a part of the family of God. But the second response we got to share this news, friends. we got to let the world know 
We're not called to be quiet. How many when you find a good deal when you go shopping, tell somebody about it? Come on, ladies. Right? How many when you go to a good restaurant, you tell somebody about it? Well, how many have tasted and saw that the Lord is good and that He is worthy of our lives and our praise? Let's tell someone about it so that they can experience the goodness of God as well. Build your life upon the cornerstone of Christ. That's the bottom line of this whole, whole message is build your life upon the cornerstone of Christ because He's the only one that, that is stable enough to sustain your life. Everyone stand with me today. As we get ready to sing in this place, as we get ready to worship God, I want to encourage you, build your life upon Him because He will not disappoint. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We love you. Thank you for sending Jesus. Christ, we give you our praise because you alone are worthy. And it's our joy to offer all of us to you as you give us new life. And it's in Jesus' mighty and matchless name we pray. And all of God's people said a big amen and amen. Let's give God praise. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.